dream, we prepare. We work hard to create meaningful moments in our lives. Yet despite all our planning, sometimes the unexpected happens and everything falls apart. We're confused, we're disappointed, and we don't know what to do next. But if we listen closely, we might hear God whispering through all the noise, don't be afraid, I have something better for you. But we'll never really know unless we're open to a change of plans. So I found a surefire way to prove and test my faith in Jesus. This surefire way will reveal the true condition of your soul, and you don't even have to go that far away in order to be able to put your faith to the test. I got to actively test my faith in Jesus, to lay out in front of humankind my passion for following him, and I got to test that faith multiple times this past week in hostile environments called Target, Walmart, Comcast, Starbucks, Costco, and Safeway. The great evil gauntlet of six, okay? I tested my faith in Jesus and I revealed the true condition of my heart by doing one activity. Wait for it. Wait for it. I stood in line. I stood in line. In those lines, the evil adversaries of boredom, anxiety, uncertainty, and justice confronted me head on. There was a recent study done about how Americans handle themselves when they're forced to stand in line. What was amazing is that they found out that we are affected by four factors when we're standing in line. Boredom, anxiety, uncertainty, and justice. The study revealed that boredom tends to make people edgy. That there's something about just having to stand there and not be doing something else that we think we should be doing that begins to elevate our pulse rate. The anxiety of not knowing how the checkout process is going to go. Or the anxiety of not knowing exactly whether or not the beverage we've ordered is going to be consistent with our expectation begins to elevate our pulse rate even more. The uncertainty of wondering, which line do I pick? Do I go to the left or do I go to the right? Which line is going to go faster? And then, of course, (laughs) there's the injustice. When we stand in a line and God somehow allows the other line to move quicker than our line. There's that moment when we are standing there thinking, how could that vile, evil, obviously over the 10 item limit guy in front of me, how could God possibly allow them to walk out of the store ahead of me when I counted nine items, got in the right line, stood here like the perfect rule keeper that I am. How in the world could God allow that kind of injustice in my world right now? You get tense just thinking about it, don't you? As we enter into Christmas this year, we're going to purposefully slow down our pulse rate once again. We've been doing this for 13 plus years. We're going to find out how we really do with waiting. You know, it's amazing to me. People don't even realize it. You open up the Bible, the Luke chapter 1, and the first story you encounter in the Christmas story is about a guy who's waiting. 
He's waiting for a Messiah. He's waiting for a miracle. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, we're going to run into him next week a lot. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. There's a lot of Zechariah's and Elizabeth's running around these days. Now you know where you got your names from. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Let me break it down to you. Zechariah, this temple priest, he was faithful. The first blank in your outline, he was faithfully doing his job. He was a faithful temple priest. He spent his whole life waiting on God. He attended to people. He made sacrifices. He did the, the, the bells and the smells, as I like to call them. He entered fully in into his role. He believed with his whole heart. He showed up day after day. He did the right thing, and the Bible has a word for him. He's righteous. It's a simple principle here. We're going to run into it all this series, which says simply this, waiting on God makes us stronger, not weaker. There's something about having to wait on God that actually brings out the best in who God created us to be. And so Zechariah, as he patiently waits for God's plan, he and his wife Elizabeth grew stronger. That's why scripture says they were righteous people. They weren't just good people. They were righteous people. They were following God and waiting for him to deliver on his promises. So apparently, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, apparently in God's kingdom, waiting can actually be good for you. Maybe it's something that God wants to get our attention with. Secondly, we learn that Zechariah is flawed, at least in the minds of the people. I mean, to be childless in an ancient culture was to be judged. Ancient beliefs held to the idea that, that you were judged, that God was judging you if you were without children. Now, we know that's absolutely ludicrous. But it gives us a glimpse into their souls, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they were used to the whispers. They were used to the misguided wonderings that, that somehow they must have done something wrong. That they must have not prayed the right prayer or checked the right box. That somehow God had an axe to grind with the priest and his wife. And that, that somehow there must be something just a little bit off. And I wonder if at times they must have wondered about the injustice themselves. So, well, why would God hold this from us? Why would he not give us the opportunity to steward a beautiful child when so many other people just seem to neglect that thing and throw it away? Why, why would God keep us? Especially when we're volunteering. So we find this couple praying and waiting. I guess in one way you could say truly they were forced to wait. To wait for a Messiah, to wait for a child. I mean, think about it for a second. Zechariah and Elizabeth have been waiting their entire adult lives for a child. And they were like a, a, a microcosm of what was happening in the world around them. Israel had been waiting for decades for a promised Messiah to come and save them from the Roman Empire. The prophet Isaiah. It had been 700 years since he wrote those beautiful, beautiful promises. If you read the book of Isaiah, it's all focused on this one person, Emmanuel. God with us, but the promises were getting dusty. They were old, they were dry, 700 years. It had been 400 years since God had spoken through a prophet. I mean, 400 years of silence and waiting. And what sets in? The same thing that sets in when you're waiting in line at Target. Boredom, anxiety, uncertainty, and injustice. 
Why is God leaving us here? Why is he so quiet? Why does it seem like he talks to everybody else and never talks to me? Have you ever asked that question? Christ the King, what are you waiting for this Christmas? You waiting for a miracle? You waiting for hope? You waiting for the restoration of a broken relationship? Are, are, are you just hoping to renew something normal? Maybe there's a better question than what are you waiting for? Because actually that's what I asked you last year. <laughs> what are you waiting for? Different question this year. How are you waiting? How are you waiting? Know that waiting is a part of life, and apparently it's okay for us to have to wait on God, sometimes for hundreds of years at a time. How are you doing when it comes to waiting? Are you waiting with boredom, uh, uncertainty, anxiety, and injustice, or are you waiting with expectancy, with peace, with joy, with generosity? That's unthinkable this time of year, isn't it? Here's what we learned from Zechariah. You don't get anything else this weekend. Please take this with you. Waiting time is never wasting time in God's kingdom. Let me say that again. Waiting time is never wasting time in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, waiting is healthy. In God's kingdom, waiting is good. Waiting is even expected for those of us that have been doing this for a while. And waiting as well is an opportunity. I mean, waiting is a promise, right? Here comes the famous verse. I was thinking about this the other day. I was out for a run, and a bald, majestic bald eagle came up from behind me, tracking right down the road. I didn't see him until he was like right over top of my head. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's amazing, isn't it? There's a promise of strength for those who are waiting on God to reveal His purpose and His promised return. So even when we're in pain, the pain of waiting, the pain of infertility, the pain of an unanswered prayer, the pain of a broken heart, the the pain of, of a prodigal son or daughter, I mean, even in that pain, Jesus promises something. You can grow if your focus is in the right place. Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he was a guy that was used to waiting. He was waiting for the world to change. Sounds like a song, right? He was waiting for something to happen inside of culture. He was a missionary to those people, and yet he wrote these words. Because it seemed like every time he was waiting, the reason he was waiting is because he was suffering. He said, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Some of you are waiting on God for a miracle this Christmas, a miracle in your family, a miracle in your body, a miracle in your mind, the miracle of healing, the miracle of restoration, the miracle of deliverance, the miracle of relief. You've been praying and asking God, and for whatever reason, He's asked you to wait, to be patient. I know you guys know this, especially if you're faithful, but if you're waiting on a miracle, I know how you feel. So does my wife. We've been waiting for an answer for 22 years. Can I be honest with my church family? I hate waiting. I just hate it. It's like, come on, God. I mean, we're up in the prayer room. We're praying. That, you know, to, I don't know about you guys. I'm thinking about Jesus coming back. I thought today was a good day for that. 
It's just like, come on, this would be a great job. Before we even have to go through this other stuff, I mean, before we have to talk about Advent again, before we have to talk about incarnation again, before we talk about Jesus coming, can't we just get to Jesus coming back? I mean, I don't know about you. Anybody else would like to spend Christmas in heaven this year? Sounds good to me, right? I mean, how beautiful would that be? Tired of waiting, but we've learned a few lessons along the way. So while you're waiting for God's miracle, don't know what yours is. But while you're waiting, pray the process, not just the end goal. Okay, sometimes we get so stuck on what we want at the end of the process that we neglect and forget everything that God's going to teach us along the way as we kind of stumble down that broken path and that broken road towards Him. We get so fixated on that healing or that restoration or that fix that we forget the fact that there's a whole lot to learn as we're wandering and stumbling along getting there. And the process of waiting on a miracle is full of opportunities to trust God, to see Him show up in little ways and in big ways, and to experience His daily faithfulness. In, I mean, in, in, in the process of waiting, you learn what it really means to walk by faith and not by sight. In the process of, lear- of waiting, you learn what it means to have godly patience, sometimes for a lifetime. In the process of waiting, you get to see God refine your anxious heart. This is what I so want for us this Christmas. My prayer is that we will feel the fingers of the Holy Spirit take our pulse and that ours will be about half of what it is out there in modern culture. Why? Because we're not panicked and we're not freaking out because we already know we've been invited to a birthday party. So why in the world would we need to be afraid? Years ago, back in the early days when I started here at CTK, about 16, believe it or not, teaching for 13, I've been around here hanging around like a bad habit for about 16 years. In 2003, when the big leadership change happened and this building was just a great big empty hole and there was a pile of dirt here where I'm standing right now and we were trying to figure out whether or not we should shut down the building program or keep it going and some of you guys were here and gave so faithfully and generously just to keep us going. I mean, we didn't know week to week whether or not Christ the King Church was even going to exist anymore and then the craziest thing started happening. We started praying that, that God wouldn't get us all fixed in on where we were but instead that he'd keep our eyes open to people that were far from God and, and we started praying praying that God would bring us the lost and the broken of Whatcom County, and we were so amazed when he did. They just started showing up. Like, what in the world? There was a problem that was going on at the same time with the pastor of this church. He was getting all wrapped up in the details. He was forgetting about his family, and he was just getting completely immersed. I mean, everything was about six inches away from the front of my face, and, and even when I was off, I was on. My brain was always thinking about a new idea and troubleshooting, and I was rehearsing hard conversations with people that I knew I was going to have the next week, and I wasn't sleeping well, and insomnia was kicking in, and I was just absolutely consumed with what was happening here. And the problem was I was getting so caught up in the details of everybody else's life, I was neglecting the people's lives that were right in front of me that I loved more than anything. And I remember praying, God, please teach me to be present. Teach me to be here in in this moment, right now, not with 17 other conversations running ahead. God, just help me to be just, just right here, right now. 
So if you don't know, those of you that are part of this family, you do know. So Laurel has two eye conditions, Bietti's crystalline dystrophy, cystoid macular edema, and her world gets a little bit smaller every single day. One of the beautiful outcomes of that wretched disease is that I get to be her eyes. So if you ever want to know what I do for a living, I'm a glorified seeing eye dog. And I like it. It works for me. You know what is a requirement of being a seeing eye dog? You got to be present. You have to be aware of what's going on, not just for you, but for the person that's holding your hand. You have to be the one to say there's a curb coming. Or, hey, Laurel, that was Scott that just walked by because she can't see faces anymore. You have to be present in that moment. So in the midst of praying for that miracle, you know one of the beautiful outcomes has been? Grant finally got his head straight, and he can actually hang out in a single moment for at least three or four minutes at a time. I'm improving every day. It's awesome. If you only focus on the end, you miss the beauty of the journey to get there. Here's another thought. While you're waiting on God for that particular miracle, whatever it is, pray with others that are in the process. I mean, don't isolate yourself in the waiting. Find other believers who are waiting as well. Sometimes you can line up with them. Sometimes you can pray with them. Sometimes they will understand you in a way that nobody else possibly could. Pray with and for other people who are waiting. It gives you a unique perspective on your journey, and it reminds you of something. You're not alone. It's kind of nice to know. Thirdly, while you're waiting on that miracle, pray for God's perspective on his perfect will. Pray that God can give you that 30,000-foot perspective, asking God to give his perspective on the time and the process and the desire to have that miracle. Pray through God's word, seeking his direction and his purpose. I mean, press in. Don't just stand in line. Press in and use that waiting time, not to push God away, but to step closer, to draw closer, to allow that refining work to, to buff off all of those rough edges so that you can be produced as one of those beautiful gems that only God could have created. Number four, pray with a heart of gratitude and contentment. And you got to choose that, right? It doesn't come by default. You got to choose gratitude and contentment. I mean, when you can thank God for the process of waiting the most amazing thing happens in your heart. It's called peace. And that's it, right? We pray for the miracle. We pray for the end goal. We thank God for it in advance. I'm saying there's another whole layer in there, and I have not got this figured out. I'm still working on it every single day. But there's this other layer of saying, God, I am thankful that you're asking me to wait. Because apparently, I'm better with waiting I don't know why, and I'm still struggling to understand it, but apparently I'm better with waiting. And then finally, pray that God will help you wait on slash attend to your king. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word wait, this is what I picture, right? Twitch, right? It's like, you know, come on, lion, the line is to move. Last night, on our way to Sumas to see my sister, how was I to know that about 75 plus minutes of people also wanted to go north to Canada on a Friday night, right? How in the world am I supposed to know that? How am I supposed to know that you can actually cut around through sections of Sumas and come out on Cherry Street by that gas station? I didn't know until I got there. Do I sound a little bitter? I mean, it was, we waited a long time, right? 
But we get that picture, right? You know, our, our foot's tapping, and then our hand starts to tap. It's just like, I could be doing so many other things with my life right now, and for whatever reason, God stuck me in my trailblazer with all these other people. I wonder, is that the only way to think of waiting? I used to work in a banquet hall when I was in high school, and I would wait on tables. Great big banquet hall. One of my favorite parts was if I got assigned to the head table. I liked waiting on the head table because normally the guests of honor were there, and I enjoyed taking my cues from the, from the guests of honor. That was my job. You know, they'd hold up their coffee cup. I'm on it. They'd push back from the table, dirty plate in front of them. I'm on it. I'm watching. You know, they take their last sip of water, whew, right there, I'm on it, right? My OCD was just, it was such a good place for me to be, right? It's like, let me straighten your fork and your place setting for you there while you're there. It's okay. Sorry that I touched it. Let me polish it for you. I mean, that's just kind of how it worked, right? I was waiting on them. Why? Because they were the guests of honor. The French word for wait literally means to attend to. So could it be that we shouldn't be thinking of waiting as passively standing around, tapping our foot in a line, hoping that something's going to happen instead of actually thinking of waiting as attending to our king, watching his cues, listening actively and waiting for God to give us a cue or a clue towards his activity. And then the second he moves, we just move with him because he would be the guest of honor. Zechariah was actively and faithfully fulfilling his purpose while he was waiting for a child and for a Messiah. He's faithful year after year after year. But I always wonder when I read this story, because I know that just because you're in the Bible doesn't mean you're sanitized. But I'm wondering if there wasn't a small piece of resignation that had kind of set in on himself. You know, that Zechariah had resigned himself to God's answer until God all of a sudden showed up in the form of an angel and said, change of plans. You thought you weren't ever going to get a child. Change of plans. Zechariah, time to buy diapers. You thought you were just going to be kind of the scandal of the town. Change of plans. Going a completely different direction on you. We're going to be doing this all Christmas season long. We all think we're on a trajectory. We got it all figured out. And then God shows up in the middle of our life and change of plans. It's going a different direction. Listen to this. Luke chapter 1, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's in the temple doing his job. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. I almost kicked in with a Scottish accent there. It was like a reflex, right? Okay. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. It means Yahweh is gracious. God is gracious. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many people to Israel. The people of Israel to the Lord their God, and they will go, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents 
to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? (laughs) That's a great question, isn't it? You show up for work one day, walk into the coffee room, angel standing right beside the water cooler, right? Hey, guess what? Change of plans. Like, how in the world can I know this for sure? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he was so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. I love that line, right? He kept making signs to them. Zechariah is using charades to try and communicate to this group of people that God just said yes to all of his prayers. That God just showed up and said, change of plan, Zechariah. I'm going to give you exactly what you're looking for. Not only are you going to get a child, But there's another one coming right after him. And he's going to save his people from their sins. Your son, John the Baptist, is going to make a way straight, like a voice crying in the wilderness, just like Isaiah said. And then there's one that's going to come right behind him. And your son is going to be, he's going to hold the door open for the Messiah of the human race. Question for you, Christ the King. What signs are you holding this Christmas? By the way, your face is a sign. I see you. You see me. We hang around the community together, right? Some of you are holding a sign that says, this sucks. You know it's true. Black Friday, remember? (laughs) Right? Some of you are holding a sign. Bah humbug. Some of you are holding a sign. A red cup ruined my Christmas. Think about it. And you had to write something on Facebook about it too, right? I just wanted to write back to all of you. It's a cup. How about this sign? God is with me. Here's another one. Messiah is here. (laughs) Here's another one. In the midst of all this chaos, Jesus is peace. Some of you need to inform your face. (laughs) About what Christmas is all about. (laughs) Can I get an amen from somebody on Saturday night? Like, just like, really? It's like, get out of my way. My coffee at Christ the King, right? You know, hazelnut creamers for me, right? Stand in line. Zechariah has a human moment, right? I love this interchange. He does some math. Basically, goes like this. Okay, Angel, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I'm old, <laughs> and so she. All right. In fact, he says uh, he does. This is good husbanding t- teaching here. He said she's getting on in years, right? I'm old, she's getting on in years. Doesn't she look good? That's just wonderful, right? 
so beautiful. Look at her just glowing there in all those beautiful years. That's good, right? <laughs> I mean, you can just hear him, right? Stuff changes, right? And when you get old, so what's the plan? And the angel sees those doubts, doubts and he actually puts Zechariah in a nine-month verbal timeout. You're not going to get to talk for at least nine months. Some of you are wishing, boy, I wish I could do that with some of my family members, right? A nine-month timeout, that would be awesome. I want you to notice this. The silence was not a punishment, it was an opportunity. Years ago, I got put on voice rest because I was having some issues with my vocal cords couldn't talk for weeks at a time. For somebody that's verbal like me, that's a challenge. I hated it. It was horrible. And it was amazing. You'd be amazed what you can hear when you're actually silent. When your voice is not bouncing around inside of your own head, you would absolutely be, you know what, you probably have never realized this, but I remember this. I was thinking about it on my way into work today. The sound of bacon cooking in a metal fry pan is exactly the same sound as metal hitting, or as rain hitting a metal roof. You never know that unless you actually had or were forced to actually listen to it sometimes. I actually had to teach a lesson to a group of high school kids without using a single word. I will never forget it, and some of them still talk about it. I brought in two loaves of bread, one processed and cut wonder bread, the other one fresh made from home. And just using gestures and smells and tiny little cue cards, we taught a lesson about how beautiful it is when God gives us fresh bread from his word. You know, Zechariah could have been angry, but instead he just leans into the silence. That's such a clue for us. While we're waiting, lean into the silence. Press into it. Because the Bible says that the silence was an opportunity to be obedient. Luke chapter 1, the Bible says that the angel told Zechariah to name his miracle son John. Now here's the, the big thing about that. You're just like, so what? Like he told him to name his kid John. That broke all the rules. Societal rules said, especially if you were a priest, you named your kid after you. His name would have been Bar, Bar Zechariah. That's what his legal name should have been. That would have been a, a proper name. I mean, listen to verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. So this is after John's been born, okay? They came to circumcise the child. Children, you can ask your parents about that word on the way home. And that's why your children's ministry is a good place to put your kids. You're welcome. Merry Christmas. So, okay. Um, and they were going to name him... I love taking a week off. It's just fun to come back. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, but there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Do you hear what they're really saying? You need to follow the rules, Elizabeth. Do what you're told. Do Christmas this way. That's the way the world rolls. Just fall in line Buy what you're supposed to buy. Decorate what you're supposed to decorate. Slam your calendar the way your calendar is supposed to be slammed. Don't you dare take a breath in the midst of this sprint for the next 20-some days until you fall exhausted into your chair on Christmas Day. I mean, that's the way we do it. We get on the rat race with all of the rest of the rats, right? Elizabeth is like, I don't follow those rules. I mean, could it be Christ the King, God's asking us to do Christmas His way? I mean, 
peace, quiet, generosity, expectancy. Zechariah is obedient to call his son John. And the second he names him, God opens his mouth. But not before he learned this lesson. The silence was a golden opportunity. An opportunity to recognize that it's not about me, but what about God's about to do through me. See, Zechariah had an important role. He's the father of John the Baptist. Who's John the Baptist? He's the guy that holds the door open for Jesus to show up. He was going to pave the way. And Zechariah realizes, this is not about me. I'm just a conduit through which God is establishing his genealogy. You know what I love about the genealogy of Jesus? It's completely filled with messed up human beings. You know, could it be that your waiting time is not about you, but that it's about getting God glory for what he's doing in and through you as you live out his purpose for your life? And then finally, the silence was an opportunity to understand the purpose in the silence. There was a purpose here, okay? A huge purpose. This is what was getting ready to happen. God was about to break 400 years of silence with the human cry of a heavenly king. It had been dead quiet, and God was going to speak through His Son. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us for a while, and we have seen His glory. The Messiah was going to come. The promised miracle was on the brink of being revealed. I mean, what if your miracle is right on the brink? Wouldn't that be an awful time to step back? If you're right on the edge and you don't even know it. And Zechariah's waiting is realized and his tongue is released. And what does he do? He sings. Some of you'd go, I don't know if I'd sing. Zechariah sings. And these are the lyrics to his song as he holds his miracle in his hands, knowing that his miracle was going to pave the way for ours. He sings, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. You just love that song? He's saying, this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be quiet. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be absolutely beautiful if you're wise enough to understand that waiting time is never wasting time in God's kingdom. 